welcome to Business Disability Forum's podcast, Business Disability Debates, brought to you with the help of our sponsor, HSBC. I'm Diane Lightfoot, and I'm Chief Executive of Business Disability Forum, and I'm very pleased to welcome our listeners to the fourth in our series of short podcasts to examine and discuss the topic of neurodiversity in the workplace to coincide with the launch of our new Neurodiversity Toolkit. Sponsored by Microsoft, our Neurodiversity Toolkit aims to help you become more inclusive to neurodiverse employees, customers, clients and service users. It has advice on workplace adjustments, creating positive environments and recruiting neurodiverse talent. It's available free to all our members and partners on our Knowledge Hub and has been created with the help of our members and partners, BBC Cape, Santander, PwC, HSBC, Oracle and Willis Towers Watson, plus our expert partners, Do It Solutions, Genius Within and Lexic. I am delighted that very fittingly my guest today is Nicola James, founder and lead occupational psychologist at Lexic. So hello Nicola and thank you for joining me today. Hello Diane, lovely to be here. Well to kick us off Nicola, could you tell us a bit about your background and what you do? My background is that I was diagnosed with dyslexia, but I didn't discover until my third year of university. Since then, and with many years of training, I actually now support people with both dyslexia and other neurodiverse conditions within the workplace. So neurodiversity will refer to conditions like autism, ADHD. And since then, I've gone on to do a um, postgrad in neuropsychology. So we also specialise in looking after businesses UK-wide on areas such as cognitive functioning, i.e. maybe epilepsy in the workplace and strokes in the workplace. And this involves things like diagnostics, workplace assessments, coaching, online e-learning and general organisational support. Thank you. And fascinating, although not actually that unusual, getting a diagnosis at university. Would you be happy to tell us a bit about your, your personal story of neurodiversity? I just always remember, like I've got an elder brother who was in the school year above me. And I remember spending way more hours revising and working. And he seemed to be able to go out with his friends, go into an exam and get an A. Whereas I could do two times, three times the amount of work. I could verbally explain the subjects. I understood them in my head. But when it came to sort of getting my thoughts down on the page or doing examinations, I never seemed to get the grades that aligned with maybe what I knew. I just remember, you know, working really, really hard. And I I remember getting to the point where I was like, I'm just going to give up. And the final straw came when I got in and did psychology and I got in through clearing because I didn't get the points in A-levels. And the final cusp came when I was asked to write an essay and I was asked to present on the same topic. And in the topic that I presented on, I got a first And when I wrote up exactly the same subject, I failed the essay. So I got a third and she said I didn't know what I was talking about. But the problem was I knew so much on the subject. It was like a big mind map in my head. And so I didn't know where to start an essay. I didn't know when to finish an essay because I've never really been taught how to write an essay. And when you're dyslexic, you sometimes don't implicitly see structures. Equally also when it comes to reading, it can be hard for me to take in the information So I remember sort of spending hours in the library trying to get this information in my head. And the really interesting thing I discovered a few years ago is I've got a friend who is academic 
and they read books really easily. And I was like, how do you get on with audiobooks? Because I love audiobooks and I take them in really easily. And it really opened a whole new world for me, particularly as they become more accessible. And he said, I can't take in audiobooks. I find it impossible. So then I met, remember thinking, well, maybe if the world had been designed through audiobooks more than sort of reading off a page, maybe he would have dyslexia in that world. I remember very early on, not consciously, I, I internalised my value to my grade. And when I wasn't getting the grades that I wanted to get, you know, I always got the try harder. But I think then it internalised, am I good enough? Because you're not getting what you want to get, even though you're putting the work in. And usually they say, you know, you put the work in, you get the grade. When I got my diagnosis, it was a mixed bag of emotions. It's this sense of, thank God, I understand now. But until you get the solutions in terms of things like the strategies and the adjustments, your techniques don't really change. So your techniques is you're just trying to cram stuff in in the same way. I was very lucky. I, did, I applied for a master's in occupational psychology and I got rejected from the University of Nottingham. And then I actually explained that I got diagnosed with dyslexia and they interviewed me and I got in. And that's what changed because I'd nearly gone, I've, I've given up. I can't do this anymore. And I met a lady called Margaret Harrington, who ran the dyslexia department in Nottingham, and at that time was quite pioneering in the area of dyslexia. And she just taught me things like mind mapping. She taught me essay structures. She taught me different ways of working that aligned with my learning style. With that, plus access to things like text-to-speech technologies like Read and White Gold, Claro Read, it made such a big difference that in my master's, I started to get two ones in my written work and then I nearly got a first. The pride I had was amazing and I now can see where my strengths are but they may not sort of align with traditional academic skills and I have quite a lot of entrepreneurial skills which I now realise that other peers who have other strengths don't necessarily have those abilities. When I was trying to set up a business I had like three, four, five ideas. Should I be a coach? Should I go into consumer psychology? But what I asked, I asked the one question. The one question I asked is, where is my heart? What do I care about? And that's why I ended up working in dyslexia and working in this area. It's amazing to see people, just that one thing which changes people's lives, which is they go from the belief that they can't do to they can do. And if you can make that switch through just, you know, the coaching and stuff, that person will go on to succeed because they'll see the world working with them rather than against them. I was just thinking about what you were saying around the audiobook versus reading. I think I'd be like your contact, actually. I'm not very good at taking in stuff in an audiobook, but it, it perfectly kind of illustrates the social model, doesn't it? That it's just a construct that we have of, of the way that things are done that doesn't fit everyone. And if you don't fit that, then you are effectively disabled by it. The first time you and I had a, a conversation, Nicola, that you were talking about education and what we value and that creativity versus accuracy. And actually, if we value creativity in the same way we value accuracy and like sentence structures and beginning to, to spell it would probably be quite a different picture. Clearly getting the diagnosis was a turning point and you also talked about telling um, the university that you had dyslexia. Telling people about it or disclosing to use that horrible technical word is a very personal thing but they can be really important can't they? So, so how useful do you think are neurodiverse labels for people to access adjustments in the workplace? You know, they have pros and cons. I mean, one of the things which really helped me getting a label, and I see this with clients we work with, you know, we work with organisations, what we see is that if somebody understands what their condition is, they actually start to know where to go for help or someone can navigate them towards the sort of help that they need. 
sometimes organisations get so focused on the diagnosis, the label, and a person, we see lots of people who might just get a diagnosis, but they're not getting the solutions. And where we see the behavioural change in people's jobs is when people are given adjustments, particularly around specialist coaching to suit their neurodiverse conditions and also the assistive technology. And so sometimes, you know, it's if there isn't much funding or there is limited time, it can be far better to give someone a screening and actually look at where they are having issues. So rather than looking at the diagnosis, it can be better to look at things like, are they having issues with organisation, reading? It's in the application of their job, because then you can align the solutions to the areas that they find difficult. And then you start to see this performance enhancement change. But I think it's also really important to work in their education for the organisation and their manager and also confidence and that sort of relationship with self-peace. Also, what you might find is you might get overlapping conditions very often. So if you just have a specialist in dyslexia, you might find that there are maybe cognitive issues from other things. There might be anxiety. There can be things like, you know, ADHD overlapping with dyslexia. So taking a broader approach and actually looking at where the issues are in the workplace is a really important because otherwise you might miss something. For example, very often we'll get a dyslexia assessment through and actually we're going, hang on a minute, there's loads of signs of autism coming through here, but it hasn't been picked up. So therefore, if you focus on, on the adjustments and the practical application of solutions to the workplace, that can be really powerful. But a diagnosis can also be really powerful as well. And what you were just saying about the barriers rather than the diagnosis, I mean, that very much chimes with the advice we give about, about focusing on, on where the issues are and putting in measures to overcome them so that someone can be as productive as possible and their best self at work. And it also means that anyone listening to this who is a line manager, that they don't have to and indeed shouldn't start trying to go around diagnosing people who haven't talked to them, but just focus on what is the barrier and what can be put in place to address it. Of course, we are all working very differently now. We have been for some months. So given some of those changes due to COVID-19, I wasn't going to mention the word, but I, I think I have to, and more flexible working, can you give advice around accessing assessments? At the beginning of this, there was a lot of debate, particularly around the diagnostic assessment. You know, I sit on some of the British Psychological Society boards on neurodiversity. I also sit on SASC, which governs specially trained teachers. And when you look at, say, a dyslexia diagnostic, there are so many tests like block tests where someone has to reshape the block. So quite a lot of their tests are very hard to do through a virtual environment. So what's actually being recommended is using where you can a, an online approach, but really what you really want to try and give someone the adjustments. You can't wait for a diagnostic test to be done because that person could have issues with stress, they could have issues in their jobs. So what we tend to recommend is we recommend an online screening. So that would be for all neurodiverse conditions, but you might not get a diagnosis, but you get an opinion from someone who, who is qualified to understand the profiles of neurodiverse conditions. So the first stage is an online screening, face-to-face -face over Zoom, Teams, etc. The second stage is a online workplace assessment. So there, again, you're discussing the adjustments for someone with neurodiverse conditions, cognitive conditions in the workplace. You're looking for the things that will really make a difference. The caveat to that is, though, if someone is working in a health and safety related profession, health and safety related environment, nurse, police, um, they're working on the shop floor of a manufacturing facility, what you would recommend is you recommend a caveat that when we can, 
we would then do a second visit to their workplace to make sure that we're covering all of the, those issues and the adjustments that we can't see from a virtual environment. And then the third stage is in interventions around coaching. That could be line manager coaching online. That can be coaching with the individual, which covers areas like organisation, memory, confidence, reading, writing, etc. And then also that can also lead to things like sort of e-learning. So you can do things like you have Neurotalent Unlock, which covers line manager videos and awareness and strategy videos. You have things like the Do It Profiler, which covers things more around sort of organisational level, like recruitment and things like that. So that's what we recommend in an online environment. But we don't recommend that you wait and do nothing because having a neurodiverse condition can cause a lot of stress. And with the changes of environment, working from a workplace to working individually at home, for example, sometimes it can be harder to reach out and ask for help. So it's really important to not delay that assessment because that person could then have secondary facts like factors like mental health and stress. Absolutely. I'm chair of the Disabled Students Stakeholder Group and dyslexia, as you will know much better than I do, is a real big issue around the student population, as you know from your own personal experience. And actually having that access to an online opinion as an assessment to enable support to be in place is something that is, is so important rather than having to wait and potentially being really quite substantially disadvantaged in, in starting a university course and indeed indeed in a job. So that's really, really helpful advice. Thank you. So you've talked a little bit around assistive tech, which is a, obviously a huge and growing area. What technical advances can help to support future neurodiverse workplaces? I mean, I used to do quite a lot of training in the States on online e-learning. And so we started doing some online e-learning, say, say, six years ago. You're starting to see that being more prevalent. So you're starting to see different providers providing online modules, online training. What you're also seeing is you're also seeing organisations be much more open to this much more quickly because of the way the world has changed due to COVID. So the first thing is you're going to start seeing more education through e-learning and e-learning people i think people have sort of opinions starting to change it's going to be very high quality it can be very interactive what you also start to see is you'll start to see more acceptance to coaching through remote services so if you think of america if you think of they have many universities that deliver their courses over zoom or other virtual platforms we're starting to see that development happen much quicker in the uk so people are going to become more habitualized to that and so we start to see that but we also start to see that with the virtual world so things like people might have not have time to leave their jobs people might be working from home more so having easy access to that coaching um, will make a big difference as well we'll also start to see say more sort of platforms where we'll start to see i reckon not yet but we'll see more developments of diagnostic testing going online so suitable testing which can be delivered in an online format where some of the tests aren't actually have don't have the reliability and validity to do that and we'll see that increased development probably because of covid so we'll see more psychologists probably working much more remotely with how they diagnose conditions and they deliver those assessments and then sort of further on we'll probably see more development of these virtual platforms and you know sharing of conditions social interfaces where you've seen in other industries yeah, and I think you're absolutely right about COVID actually accelerating things. So we're recording this via Teams and until the middle of March, all I knew about Teams was it was it this thing that popped up when I tried to open Outlook and I thought I must learn what this is at some point. And now I spent <laughs> I spent half of my life on it. So that has definitely, definitely changed things. More seriously, I don't think we're likely to go back to 
business as usual as it was anytime soon, if indeed ever. So the fact that we are having some benefits in, in improved technology and being able to support people remotely is, is, is a good thing. We know that lots of employers are really interested in neurodiversity, but maybe don't know what to do or where to start. So if you were talking to an employer, what advice would you give them? I would say don't panic. I mean, so first of all, what you find is there are more and more cases of neurodiversity coming up. There is 2.1 million of the population with neurodiverse conditions and increasing. You're seeing much more diagnosis around the millennials who are now in the workplace. So the first thing I would say is ask for help. And you might say, what help is there? So if you are dealing with a neurodiverse individual or suspected neurodiverse individual, you're starting to see, say, lots more stuff coming through the CIPD. So you might approach an HR person. You might approach organisations like the Business Disability Forum um, who've just launched a neurodiversity toolkit, which has lots of interesting information, so advice for managers about different awareness pieces, advice around how you might help somebody with different things like reading, writing, etc. The other thing as well is you can also, you know, support the um, individual by, by approaching a specialist. So that might be through occupational health, it might be directly. So you have lots of workplace specialist companies that have uh, popped up. So we were the first occupational psychology company to pop up in the UK. And since starting in 2007, you've seen many more, but they can offer specialist advice and support in things like diagnosis, adjustment, um, best practice into supporting somebody. The other thing that I also look for is I've looked for networking groups. So what you find is we find there can be industry networking groups. You might find things like industries with banks, law firms coming together. You might find there are disability groups or groups of people discussing these in your workplace or related workplaces. So try and get involved in that. Try and network with stakeholders and then you'll find out more. There is so much to access online. So obviously lots of people are doing, you know, Alexa could doing their interviews, interviewing lots of different people, like people from Coots, people who have the conditions. And you can learn lots through our blogs on and our online interviews. As you can learn with the BDF, they're interviewing lots of different specialists, lots of different people who not only have the condition, but also provide specialist services in the condition. So there's lots of information to access there online. And if not, you can call the BDF helpline, you can call Lexic to just get some free advice. There is loads of support out there. I think for employers, just thinking about the barriers, focusing on the barriers, not being afraid to have the conversation and then accessing the support that's there. We have got within our neurodiversity toolkit also a guide to commissioning neurodiversity um, services and support and a checklist which Genius Within kindly um, created for us so that anyone who, who is not an expert can really see clearly what to look for because obviously making sure you've got a quality provider like of course Lexic is really, really important. Thank you so much for joining me, Nicola. It's been fascinating to chat with you and loads of really practical advice and, and hints and tips for our listeners. And I know you can provide further support to our members and partners at Lexic. So anyone listening, do contact us to be um, put in contact with Lexic or obviously contact Lexic direct. And as Nicola says, of course, we have our own resources to support you at BDF as well, um, including our People Manager Guide on Disabilities, which are not immediately visible. And of course, our new neurodiversity toolkit and once again our sincere thanks to all those who contributed their time expertise and content to help us create it so thank you very much again to Nicola James for being my guest today uh, this episode of the business disability debates podcast series was brought to you by our sponsor HSBC thank you for tuning in
If you enjoyed today's podcast, head over to businessdisabilityforum.org.uk to find out more about our resources and services. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast or Spotify. Look for Business Disability Forum podcasts and subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. <laughs>